Okay, so you know how um some podcasts push a lot of product. You know what I'm saying? They they have ads in their podcasts recommending you know uh, that you use a certain brand, use a certain product, and whatnot. Listen, I'm not trying to knock it. You know what I'm saying? Those podcasts are are fortunate enough to have sponsors and whatnot. I unfortunately do not. All right. So here's the deal. I record my podcast 99 not 99%, 100% of the time on my phone. I edit it on my phone and I publish it on my phone. Um, and I'm usually sitting in my car like I am right now. And, you know, I get it out to you guys. But um, while I do want you to focus on the quality of the the guests and the conversation I have with my guests um, throughout these podcast episodes, I do want to increase the audio quality. So here's the deal. I'm pushing my own product. All right. So if you haven't seen for a while now, I've been selling a lot of Urban Archery NYC merchandise, you know, hats, T-shirts, hoodies and whatnot. Um, if you like this podcast, you know, I appreciate those of you that have subscribed, that follow it and listen to it every week. But um, if you'd like to invest in the future of this podcast, um, not only would I like you to, you know, like, follow and share the podcast, but hey, check out the link in the show notes to the Urban Archery NYC um, store, if you will. Um, it's hosted by a third party vendor. They're the ones that um, when you order uh, a piece of merchandise, let's say like a T-shirt or a hat, it's made upon being ordered and shipped to you guys. So, yeah, do that. Hook a brother up. Okay, so for this particular episode, we're welcoming back John Barone. Um, I think this is actually a record. Um, having a guest on a second time in under a month, I think. Um, I can't quite remember, but it's probably about a month ago that I had John on. But um, I wanted to have John back. Um, because of something that I'm personally personally learning about. Um, and that's the whole conservation side of being a hunter. Now, when I first started hunting, um, I mean, not only did I, I mean, not only did I hear other hunters say, it, but I used to say the same thing myself that as a hunter, um, if I actually killed anything, I was contributing to wildlife conservation. Um, but over the last year and change, I've learned there's a lot more to conservation than just hunting. I mean, I know it's like, no, duh, but um, but I'm finding that not only do I enjoy hunting, but I enjoy learning about really learning about the species that I hunt, the habitat that they live in, um, what, you know, our country, our, our local cities and states um, are doing to help keep, you know, the habitat of these animals alive, uh, thriving, I should say. Um, and so, you know, I start throwing financial support behind um, conservation organizations like BHA uh, and like the NWTF. Um, and I've mentioned before, I believe it was just last episode, you know, whatever animal, whatever species it is that you're hunting, there is definitely there is more than likely an organization that helps to make sure that that species that that animal is more than just surviving but that 
it's thriving and that it's habitat um, or that there's still habitat left for these animals to survive in. Um, if it's deer, you've got, you know, you've got an organization like the National Deer Association. Um, with turkey, you've got um, the National Wild Turkey Federation. Um, with elk, there's a Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Um, you know, with BHA, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, you know what I'm saying? It covers the whole spectrum, a wide range of, you know, conservation, wildlife conservation issues. So, you know, keep that in mind when, if, if you truly believe that hunting is, um, what do you call it? The only way you can contribute to conservation, I'll tell you, you're dead wrong. If it's the only way you can, Hey, cool. You know what I'm saying? But if you could do a little bit more, like I said, like throwing some financial support towards, you know, behind or some of the organizations I just named or being able to get um, yourself out there and volunteer for projects. Because I'm telling you that these organizations are not short on projects that they could definitely use some assistance on. Um, so, like I just said, my guest, I am welcoming back John Barone. John last month wrote a piece for Meat Eater about a specific conservation issue that is concerning um, the Delmarva Peninsula down in Maryland. Um, I really want to get him on and dedicate this episode to a conservation issue, and I I'm definitely want to do more of these. So sit back relax enjoy this conversation because i know i did i enjoyed reading his article which i'm putting a link to that meat eater article in the show notes um so definitely go to the show notes click on it and and read it enjoy it share it with your friends because more than anything else um the best thing about being a community specifically a hunting community is we all know someone that that is interested in things like this and we can share it you know with social media these days you can share a, a post you can share an article you can share a podcast hint hint um you know what i'm saying so without further ado here's my intro music Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to When the Hunt Calls, the only hunting podcast hosted by a middle-aged black guy from New York City. Uh, I'm I am happy to welcome back Mr. John Barone. What's going on, John? Hey, Cliff. Good to be back. How are you doing? How are you All doing, right. man? All right. Very good. Good, good. Um, so um, funny thing is, you know, my, my uh, listeners may be like, dang, why is Cliff having this guy back so soon? Well, what a lot of you guys don't know was like right after um, that particular episode that I recorded with John, um, which you guys can go back to, which unfortunately I'm I'm doing a bad job as a host. I should have had that episode number ready. Um, at, immediately after hitting stop on, you know, hitting the stop record button, John and I stayed on the phone for a couple of hours <laughs> that day talking um and i was like dude i gotta have you back and um and since then as a matter of fact uh what do you call it 
not only did I want to have you back for that, but even more so, I wanted to have you back because of an article you recently penned um, entitled Rise of Ghosts, The Fight to Save the East Coastal Forest. And that's a piece that uh, was published on Meat Eater. Now, before we even to get into the, you know, the heart of this piece that you wrote, I wanted to ask, like, how did you end up choosing or go about utilizing uh, Meat Eater as a platform to kind of put this story out? Yeah, so, um, I, I, yeah, it, it's an important issue uh, to begin with. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know if you want to hear about sort of the background of how this all came about, the, the actual, you know, revealing of the issues. But um, in, in trying to decide what publisher to work with, so, I, you know, we discussed last time, I'm, I'm an environmental lawyer. Um, and so, so generally, if I write an article that's conservation related, I'll, I'll, I'll look to sort of the environmental world to, to publish that. Um, so this particular article started out um, heavy discussing land trusts and uh, the work they were doing on the Delmarva Peninsula, which is Maryland. Uh, it's, it's a peninsula that you have the Chesapeake Bay on one side, you have the Delaware Bay on the other side, and you actually have three states on that peninsula. It's, it's Maryland, it's Delaware, and it's Virginia at the very bottom of, of the peninsula. Um, so when, when I went out to, to Maryland, I, I went out for a turkey hunt and I, I spent a week down there. Um, before I went out, I knew about the issues that the, the peninsula was facing with regard to um, sea level rise, um, land subsidence, which is basically what that means is, is the land is sinking. Um, and, and there's a couple of other issues that, you know, we could get into. Um, so in, in looking at the issues, um, an, uh, an angle I wanted to talk about was, well, what's being done? You know, you always want to after scaring everyone with how bad the <laughs> the, 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 the circumstances are, you, you kind of want to come back to, and here's what's being done. And so that's mm -hmm. where Land Trust got involved for me. And, and I had um, spoken with the Chesapeake Conservancy, which is a land trust. And just as an attorney concentrating environmental law, my firm um, represents various New York land trusts. And so that's really where I originally thought to have this published, have one of the larger land trusts in the country look at disseminating this into the environmental community, because that's sort of a fit as uh, being a lawyer. Um, you know what, um, John, real quick, I apologize for cutting you off, but sure. for the sake of, of, you know, even, I don't even want to use my listeners as an excuse, but even for myself, what exactly is a land trust? That, you know, I'm glad you stopped me to ask me that question. So a, a land trust is a not-for-profit organization that generally their mission is to uh, conserve land. And, and the way they go about conserving land is um, they, they utilize two main goals. Um, 
or uh, I, I shouldn't say goals, but the two, they utilize two approaches. So one approach is actually buying property and the other approach is um, by accepting conservation easements from landowners. And, you know, we, we really could go down a rabbit hole here. So I'll try and um, sum this up as quickly as I can. A conservation easement is a interest in a property. So let's say you own land, you own 100 acres of land, um, and it doesn't have to be that large or, or, that's, or that small. Um, if that land has conservation values, um, that landowner could approach a land trust or a land trust may approach that landowner and say, hey, you know, your property has um, some, some good value here when it comes to conservation, whether it's completely wooded, maybe there's some uh, pristine streams or wetlands on it or, or w whatever it is. It just has a value um, worth conserving that property. And what could be offered to the land trust is something called the conservation easement, which is basically a restriction on your deed, which restricts what, how you could use the property. So let's say you have a house on the property already. Um, a common conservation easement could say you could you cannot develop your property any further. You could only utilize your property for its current uses. And then that easement becomes a, a document in your chain of title um, that runs with the land. So if you ever sell your property, the the, the new buyer will know that this property is restricted in a certain manner um, where that person may not be able to subdivide it and, and, and create more houses on it, or they may not be able to um, do clear cutting. Maybe it's only select timber cutting that's allowed uh, through the easement. Um, if it's a farm um, agricultural conservation easement, then likely the, the farming use that's already in effect would continue, but maybe you can't, as a new buyer, expand on that or as the current owner. Um, so that's how a conservation easement works. Um, I, I was saying the, the other approach a, a land trust uses is to actually buy the property. And when they buy the property, they will either hold on to the property and create sort of a preserve out of it, um, and that preserve, you know, there are land trusts that allow hunting on their preserves. Um, so a land trust may open it up to various types of access, whether it's only hiking trails, whether it's um, hunting, hiking, and fishing. I, it really depends on the property and it depends on the goals of the land trust. Um, sometimes a land trust will buy property and then they'll turn it over the, to the state. And the state will have the same options with, with, with what to do with the land. They'll have to decide how are they going to manage the land and what are they going to use the land for. Will it become a state park? Will it become a, a, a wildlife management area? Uh, will it become something else? Um, generally, if, if a 
land trust does transfer it to the state, they're involved in that process because they still want to see that the land is conserved in some manner. And so they'll, uh, whatever contract they work out with the state, they, there'll probably be restrictions on what the state can, can or can't do with the property. Um, so that was, <laughs> that was a little longer than I expected, but <laughs> I, I well, mean, let me, let me give you a good feel for what a land trust is. Now with that, with that, with that, uh, land that's affected, um, you know, in that peninsula there, is that primarily all public land or does the issue affect, um, private land as well over there? Yeah, so it's it's public and private. There's state land, there's federal land, there's uh, national wildlife refuges there. There's quite a few of them uh, in the Chesapeake Bay, actually. Um, I think there's about three of them. And and then there's a, uh, there's a lot of farmland, there's a lot of private land. So um, one of the goals of some of the land trusts out there is uh, along the lines of what's been called the 30-30 plan, which is to try and conserve 30% of the peninsula by 2030. And that could be, you know, that's a broad term. That doesn't mean just buying the land and, and turning it into uh, a closed preserve. That could be a working conservation easement that includes select cutting, that could be farm conservation easements. Um, the idea is to at least save 30% of open space on the peninsula by 2030. Um, so, it, you know, it's a, it's a tricky goal because you're dealing with private landowners too. And, and um, while there are incentives for uh, conservation easements, like you get tax benefits, um, but not all landowners are interested in this type of thing because you do encumber your property and um, you do reduce the value of your property. So if you're trying to um, hold your property and, and hold its uh, full potential value, then you may not be interested in a conservation easement. Um, so, I, yeah, it, it, it's tricky to... And it'll be interesting to see how uh, some of these land trusts and other conservation organizations go about this in the next uh, eight years. Wow, it's 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 so funny hearing hearing about this because coming coming from New York City, um, and I think it probably it, this is you know new to a lot of people who who are from urban areas. I don't think about it's it's just that I'm so far removed from you know the idea of a rising sea level like if i hear rising sea level i just think all oh, the water's coming up on coney island beach you know <laughs> right. I, which, which I, is actually happening i'm sure <laughs> yeah oh trust me it's it's funny because i um when i took my kids to coney island beach last summer as a matter of fact i told my kids i was like i don't know you know how sometimes um, when you return to a childhood place, you're like, oh, I remember this place being a lot bigger. That's how I felt about Coney Island Beach. I was like, I remember having to walk like a real, uh, really good ways just to reach the water walking off of the boardwalk. And now it feels like I could just like, it's like just a couple of feet from the boardwalk. Right. And, and my kids, my son was just like, oh, it's just because you were little daddy. And I was like, all right. 
that could be it, you know, but at least I know now I'm not going crazy or I haven't grown that much. <laughs> right. and, and we can't blame sea level for everything. And we'll get into some of the stats, mm-hmm. um, but there are other issues uh, such as erosion. So the loss of beach on Coney Island um, could be predominantly erosion and maybe a little bit of sea, sea level rise. Um, I don't know what's going on on Coney Island, so I can't, <laughs> but there, I, 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 I'm sure there has been erosion, and I'm and and sea level rise is definitely having an impact. Um, but you know, y- you have to look at the factors for a particular place. Understood. Understood. Now, so, so prim- I never answered your question of how this got to meat eater. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all right. Listen. So let's let's go ahead. And let's circle back to it. And and so you know when I when I started thinking about who I wanted to present the article to for publishing when it, when I really when it really came down to it and I finished the article I I thought it was important you know the land trust community is well aware of the issues that I spoke about in in the article and the environmental community should be aware of it I I will say a lot of people even in my network in New York. They were not aware of what's going on in the Chesapeake Bay and, and the Malva Peninsula. So, but with that all being said, and you know, having a hunting background, I thought it would be really interesting if um, a, a hunting uh, if a hunting publication picked up on this. And so, you know, I, I pitched it to Meat Eater, and and they were interested. Um, I, I thought Meat Eater was the best choice because they do have a record of um, having conservation values and, and ethics uh, among uh, the North American sporting community. And so this isn't completely um, out of, you know, their area. You know, they, they talk about public lands. They talk about conservation quite often. Um, so I was hoping that they would be interested in an article that actually gets into sea level rise and, and has elements of climate change in it. And, uh, yeah, they were very interested in it. They, they thought it was an important issue and, and they published it. Nice. Nice. I just like that, that, um, you know, that this kind of, I mean, the issue motivated you to reach out to such a platform, uh, you know, such a huge platform like Me Eater and that, hey, they, you know, they took it, they took interest in it as well and gave you the opportunity to kind of communicate what the issues were. Now, we're jumping back, like right into the article, it, it just to make sure. So the rising sea level is what's the threat here, correct? Yes, but, I, you know, to, to be... Um, completely accurate, and 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 I'm going to focus on Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge for, mm. for part of the conversation. Now, the the entire Chesapeake Bay is, is dealing with this issue, um, but I I started the conversation before I went down on my hunting trip last year, uh, April 2021, um, by speaking with. All right, guys, I got to apologize for that. Um, I, I try to keep it 100 with you guys. Um, experiencing a little technical technical difficulty, and I had lost John, but I got him back on um, just to kind of, I guess, 
recap or backtrack a little bit. Um, I was asking John about the uh, sea level rise. Was that the the big? Was that the only threat? Um, on you know affecting the Delmarva Peninsula, um, and John had just begun talking about um, what's the, what's the area you said you wanted to focus on? Yeah, so um, to, to answer your question, um, I, I'll focus on Blackwater National uh, Wildlife Refuge. Um, now, now this issue is impacting the entire Chesapeake Bay, but before I went down. I spoke to a couple of people. I, I spoke to a staff member at the Maryland DNR, which is Department of Natural Resources. And I spoke to a biologist with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife um, Agency. And he is actually the uh, biologist for what's called the Chesapeake Refuge Complex, which uh, is three different national wildlife refuges in Chesapeake Bay but he's stationed in Blackwater. So a lot of my pictures in the article and, you know, the impressions that I, I gained from being on the ground all came from Blackwater National Wildlife Refuge. So what, what's interesting about Blackwater that I found out afterwards and with some of the research that I did is since 1935 or 1940, I'm forgetting the exact year, the, the refuge has been losing its tidal marsh and its its coastal forest but it's been it's been happening for at a slow pace and uh, you know th there are various reasons why why that's happening um it's being caused by decades of erosion flooding um nutria infestation so nutria is a invasive species it's it's like a an oversized muskrat and um they come from i believe it's either well i know they're in south america but they could also be in central america and um, i don't know the history of how they got to the chesapeake bay but they got there and um u.s fish and wildlife i think in conjunction with maryland dnr or maybe it was just maryland dnr that worked on a campaign to eradicate them, and they're just about eradicated. Um, the, the person I spoke to at U.S. Fish and Wildlife said, yeah, don't say that they're completely eradicated because we can't confirm that, but we, we've done a good job in getting rid of them. And then, so, I, you know, just to rehash, erosion, flooding, nutrient infestation, and then just a naturally sinking Chesapeake region are all contributing factors to um, what's been happening. And, and exactly what's been happening is the, the Chesapeake, the open water of the Chesapeake Bay has been coming in. It has been overrunning the, the, the native tidal marshlands and it has been impacting the coastal forests. And when I say impacting, it's it's salt water that's uh, it, it's called saltwater intrusion, where salt water comes in from underground, and then the salt water that's coming from uh, the uh, on top, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a dual um, attack, and it basically basically these are freshwater forests, so they're not surviving when they're overrun by salt water and and 
they basically die. Now, as I was saying, Blackwater has been losing a certain amount of acreage per year. I would say, uh, and I'm just looking at the stats now, it, it was 74 acres per year between 1938 and 2006. However, and, and this is a big however, and this is where sea level rise comes in and climate change. Since 2006, Blackwater has lost approximately 3,000 more acres. So that's at wow. a rate of 200 acres per year, as opposed to what was an average of 74 acres per year. Now, so this is this is land that's being lost, literally being covered by water every year. Yeah, land and and tidal marsh. Wow. I, yeah. I, 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 you gotta understand. Like I've recently learned uh, over the last couple of years, really understanding, um, you know, the size of land because I get I could get lost on six acres of property myself right. when I'm hunting. You right. know what I'm so the idea of over, you know, over 70 acres of property of land disappearing on a yearly basis, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and like I said, the, the 70 acres a year was uh, sort of a natural phenomenon due to um, a lot of other elements. But now it's up to 200 acres a year wow. because of sea level rise and climate change. And, and basically what happens is, you, you know, when you have sea level rise, all those issues that I just raised, the, the erosion, the flooding, um, the, the sinking of the land, all of that is accelerated because now the, the sea level rise is, is, is bringing the open water at a higher level, at a quicker level, and everything else starts, it's like a domino effect. Uh, now, instead of this gradual uh, loss of tidal marsh, uh, the tidal marsh is, is being overcome very quickly, and you're, you're losing more tidal marsh and more forest than uh, initially you had been. And, you know, projections are pretty insane. Um, just looking at, I, I don't have the numbers for the projections, but uh, there, there's a map in the article that shows you what this area would look like in 2075 and 2100, and I'm, it, it looks like open water has overcome half of the area that's in this map. And, and that's not the entire peninsula, so again, to be factually accurate, that's just Dorchester County, which is a part of the peninsula. That's where this study was focused on. It was focused on Blackwater and Dorchester County. But you could you could guesstimate that what's happening in Dorchester will, will happen in some of the other counties that are along the coast. So it's it's a pretty when you look at it, it's fairly astonishing. And and the other thing that I took away from being out there is um, I, I would stand on a road and on one side of the road, you would see dying coastal forest and and then to the right side of the road depending upon where you're standing obviously so uh, and then on one side of the road you would have a completely healthy forest and you're, you're literally watching climate change in action by just standing there and and, it, and it's just i found it amazing that you could 
actually see that happening. Um, and, and you could take a picture of it and say, what, you know, this is really happening and, and, and it's happening at a pretty extreme rate. Okay, so with it being all about rising sea levels, does this issue, you know, impact waterfowl a lot more than, than maybe other um, animals? So um, I think it's important to back up just for a second and mention the meaning of ghost forest. Um, this refers to the remaining trees after a block of forest has succumbed to either saltwater intrusion on the ground or saltwater migration or flooding above ground. Um, then the forest gradually becomes a stand of thinned out dead trees and eventually those trees drop into the advancing marsh. Uh, what I found when I was down there to be incredibly uh, eerie about this whole uh, landscape is when, when you look over an open area of the refuge and realize that the fallen trees and logs have simply been covered over by the advancing marsh or open water. So it's, it's all right below the surface. Um, so with that being said, now with this changing landscape, then you consider the impacts that are happening, not only to marsh, um, but it's coastal habitat as a whole. So we're talking about predominantly marsh and coastal forest. Um, on land and the coastal forests that are being lost, game species like turkey, quail, which would be bobwhite, uh, countless, uh, woodland song songbirds, um, wildlife of special concern like the Delmarva fox squirrel, they will all lose vital forest habitat. Um, you know, white-tailed deer will be pushed out as well, but with the abundance of white-tailed deer in certain areas, uh, you know, there is, you know, that may not be as much of a concern. Um, but, you know, you're still losing important coastal uh, forest and um, these woodlands do provide habitat for an abundance of various species. Now, when it comes to the loss of marsh habitat, um, and going back to your question, um, this will impact how the Chesapeake Bay is utilized as a resource, as, as a resource by ducks and other waterfowl. Um, currently, th there's changes in the habitat, but uh, when I spoke to the biologists, they haven't seen a, 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 a drop in population uh, that's coming through the bay. But as this habitat vastly changes, um, the way wa waterfowl use the bay will, will certainly change. Um, you know, will they still use it as nesting habitat? That becomes a question. Or um, overwintering habitat? That becomes a question. So, uh, you know, that's all that remains to be seen what, what happens with, um, with waterfowl. Um, uh, I, also important to mention about the bay, it's an important estuary. So there likely will be negative effects on spawning fish and various shellfish that use the areas of the bay closer to the marsh. Uh, recognizable species include stripers, uh, flounder, and blue crabs, just to name a few. Um, and, and of course, and, and I think I may have mentioned this earlier, w with the impacts to the marsh, there are going to be negative effects to at-risk bird species that nest or live in the native marsh habitat. 
um, like your rail and, and other uh, species of birds uh, similar to, um, well, that basically use the marsh to nest in. Um, and then, you know, just to wrap up on, on your question, aside from wildlife, coastal forests are very effective for reducing flooding, erosion, and other related risks to communities. So it, it's, it's not surprising then that already coastal residents and farms are losing drinking water wells and farmland to, to saltwater impacts. So, uh, you know, once you realize the wide ranging scope of these issues affecting wildlife, habitat, and people, uh, it's just simply astonishing. Got it, got it. It's, it's funny because it's like you mentioned all this and then, and then the word ecosystem just keeps sticking out in my head and how everything is like, it's one big circle and, and or one big cycle and just a one break in it or one deviation from it tends to affect so many different things. Yeah, that, that's a great point. Um, it is an ecosystem problem. I, I think you also mentioned habitat. Um, yeah, I, I mean, once you once a, a large issue like this starts impacting the ecosystem, it, it really um, it really has an effect on every everyone and everything that uses that ecosystem and it and it changes the landscape um to a substantial level now somebody like myself i'm learning about this through you um what can myself or my listeners do what can we do to help period it's a serious issue you know it's land that's disappearing uh, you know, in large quantities every year, it's, um, you know, wildlife being, you know, radically affected um, in terms of losing its habitat. So what can we do as a whole? Um, I mean, you've, you've utilized, you know, your writing skills and Meat Eater as a tool to put the information out. What else can we do to supplement that? So th there's a whole bunch of, uh, there's a variety of organizations that are um, interested in, in the future of this region. Um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, Maryland DNR, I've, I've talked about them extensively already, but there's groups like the Nature Conservancy, um, some local groups down in, in Maryland, the Eastern Shore Land Conservancy, um, the Chesapeake Conservancy, um, even Ducks Unlimited. Um, Autobahn plays a huge role uh, down there with some of these bird issues. So th there's a fair amount of organizations. Um, and, you know, I, I guess what I would say is to contact some of these nonprofits and, you know, it could be simple as becoming a member and an annual donor or, or um, just asking them about it and what they're doing. How can individuals help? Um, I, but there's also the, you know, the pressure you could put on, uh, the state government, um, you know, in Maryland, a bill was passed by their state Senate and is heading to the governor's desk. It's called the Conservation Finance Act. And a lot of the, uh, 
Well, a, a lot of the conservation groups, but particularly the land trust, are very excited that this is about to become law. And what I would say is for people down in that area, and I don't know that we have listeners that are down in that area, but um, you would call your, your representatives and say, hey, this is an issue, and we'd like to know what the, the state is doing about it and, and what can be done. Um, in New York, and, and our, we do have the issue of impacts to tidal marshes along the uh, northeast coast. So we may not have the same impacts to coastal forest that they're dealing with in, in Maryland, but we, we do have tidal marsh impacts. And that comes back to what I was saying, uh, erosion, sea level rise, and, and pollution. So, you know, some of the things that impact Chesapeake Bay and Delaware Bay is pollution coming down from uh, the, the watersheds that, I, I mean, the Chesapeake Bay watershed extends all the way into New York, uh, the Susquehanna River. So these bays um, have watersheds that are fairly extensive. Um, obviously, the Delaware Bay is, is Delaware River. But, you know, from a New York perspective, we could contact our representatives and say, you know, what's happening in New York is, is affecting um, different places along the coast. And... We'd like to see some some real environmental uh, legislation that will help against pollution in some of these rivers, or will help against um, some of the coastal issues that we're facing in the Northeast. Um, so, you know, as an individual, those are the types of things that can be done, uh, generally speaking. Nice, nice. All right, good to know. Good to know. Um, all right. So I'm curious to know. All right. So this is all happening in Maryland. You live all the way up here in New York, right? right. Well, what's your connection to to, you know, this particular area? So, I, you know, I've we, we talked about it last time. I've hunted uh, a bunch of different states. And um, with my background, when I go to a new state, I. I like to I like to write about that state. It, you know, it's always a, an interesting experience, and I like to look at what environmental issues that state is facing. Um, when I went down to Maryland the first time, I th you know I, I went down twice. I hunted there twice. So the first time I went down, I started at the peninsula, and the hunting was not good. Um, but I don't think I gave it a chance. I was only there. Um, a morning, and I, I only had a short amount of time to be down, and then I had to come back because uh, my wedding was in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was working on uh, just a little bit of time, and I decided to head out to Western Maryland. And the hunting was great there. I ended up not tagging a bird, but I basically thought to myself, "Oh, when I do Maryland the second time, this is where I'll come back." And so last year, when I was really thinking about planning this trip, I decided that I wanted to go back to the peninsula. And the reason why was it, it did make have an impact on me. Um, 
it was just such a cool environment. It was so different than anything I had ever hunted. Um, you know, I, I saw one article when I was doing the research on this that it's it's called the the Everglades. Uh, actually, let me find that. Um, okay, the Everglades of the North, and I, I could see that. I, I've actually been to the Everglades several times, and and the Everglades is is in Florida for folks that don't know that. Um, and being out on the Delaware Peninsula, I, I mean, it really was such a unique environment and habitat to hunt turkeys that I, I wanted to go back there. And I also began to appreciate some of the issues that they were facing from an environmental standpoint. Um, you know, when I was speaking with the, the, the biologist with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, he basically said that this is ground zero for climate change. Uh, yes, we have all sorts of issues to deal with that have been here, but um, a lot of the top researchers around the world come to the Chesapeake Bay to see what, how climate change is accelerating uh, environmental impacts and, and, and sort of the negative results that are coming about from it. Um, so that coupled with it being just such a unique place, I, I wanted to go back and I also wanted to write about it. Nice, nice. And you know what? It's, it's, I gotta say, like, I, you know, I acknowledge this in the intro, like, um, what do you call it? That when I first started hunting, um, I'd watch, you know, primarily via social media, many hunters kind of brag that, how hunting uh you know their hunting contributes to conservation but over the last the last year or two i realized that hunting is just one aspect of it that there's a lot more to conservation than just that you know um it's it's supporting you know organizations like bha that we're both a member of and you're a board member you're a board member of um it's it's maybe it you know time permitting getting actual getting your hands dirty and getting out to a location and helping if it's something like just a cleanup or just restoring a habitat and such so i gotta say thank you for like i said for um you know taking your your love your passion your interest not only i mean it's it's crazy because it's one it's what you do for a living <laughs> you know what i'm saying right. oh right. you do it for work you hunt hunting is a passion of yours um and then you're you're also active you know in a conservation organization and you're writing about it you're, you're putting the word out so just want to say you know really thank you for that it's definitely definitely uh, an attitude or not necessarily an attitude but an action that a lot of us need to emulate yeah, well, well, thanks. And I, I think, you, you know, in what you're saying, you make a great point about getting your boots on the ground. That's something else that folks can do. Um, I'll put in a plug for New York uh, BHA, become a member of our chapter. Uh, we do a lot of great conservation work in New York. And just having you as a member helps us. And if you're an active member, you, you could, you know, we have different programs that you could get involved in. 
Um, and then, I, I mean, we even have different teams that you could get involved in if, if you're really interested in um, volunteering uh, your time. So I, I think that's a great point. And it's not only uh, BHA that does this. There are other organizations, um, hunting organizations, fishing organizations, or just general conservation organizations that you could become a member and, and get involved and, and that type of thing. Well, you know what? Um, prior to to hit and record, you and I had discussed, you know, what we could possibly talk about. And um, I know I wanted to start out on the on conservation. I always flip those two words around: <laughs> conservation, right? Um, right, and um, and then transition into talking about your hunting experience. But you know what? Today's episode, I want to deviate from the norm, and I want to stop it right here, and just have this episode uh end here with the focus having been on conservation so um you know what thank you man like it's it's like i said man i i'm highly impressed um i believe my listeners are too um uh, like john said um sometimes doing if, if you're not able to get boots on the ground simply supporting your local organization like new york bha um you know will is, ju is just as good, you know what I'm saying? So I will definitely be um, posting links um, to John's article, Meat Eater article. Again, it is entitled Rise of Ghosts, The Fight to Save the East Coastal Forest. And I will also put a link to BHA's membership page. And with that, John, thank you, man, for, for coming back around. I promise, um, we're going to get to a third episode and discuss <laughs> discuss turkey hunting because, folks, like I told you, that last episode I had with John, um, I stayed on with him for hours after we stopped recording. Um, and we and all we did was talk hunting. It was really cool. So this dude's got a lot of he's, he's a, um, a wealth of knowledge, especially turkey hunting, especially turkey hunting. So we're definitely going to get him back on pretty soon for a third episode. So thank you, John, man. I truly appreciate it. Sure, no problem. It was uh, good being on today, and and thanks for, you know, the attention that you're spending on this issue. I appreciate it. No, it's it's. I realize it's um, while this is a journey for me, and and I appreciate guests like yourself coming on, and the listeners listening. Uh, I hope they're kind of you know everyone's kind of evolving with me because like I said prior to this, um, I don't think I really had talked um very much about con conservation so it's um i want to make sure that's a topic that i acknowledge um whether it's in new york maryland throughout the country just make sure that everyone is aware of what's going on in their neck of the woods okay great thanks again for having me no no problem man listen you have a good one have a great um easter weekend uh you guys probably so listeners you'll be listening to it after easter but <laughs> um, what do you call it hope you to my listeners hope you had a great easter um but you you have a great weekend man and then and by the way i i assume we're not going to do a podcast before may 1st so good luck <laughs> good luck in new york uh spring turkey season yes um, yes plenty of pictures of you taken out early in the spring <laughs> all from your mouth to god's ears brother <laughs> all right man you'll have a good day all right take it easy 
All right, I got to thank John again for coming back on to my podcast, um, being a guest for probably the second time in under a month, possibly. I don't know if that's a record or anything like that, but um, always a great conversation with him. Um, what's awesome with a lot of the conversations I have um, with my guests is after I stop recording, I tend to stay on the phone with them um, a while longer as I work, you know, go on throughout my workday. And I really wish I'd be able to be able to continue recording. But because I'm usually recording these episodes during my lunch break, I'm limited as to how much time I have to uh, record these conversations with my guests. But again, thank you to John. I really hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Um, there is a link to his meat eater article in the show notes, I highly recommend um, you go ahead and, you know, click on the link, read it. Um, you know what I'm saying? Get, what's the word I want to look for? Get informed. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's issues like this and, and what, how can I put it? It's issues like this that we all got to be knowledgeable about. You know what I'm saying? Be able to learn about and communicate to others um i highly recommend also you guys check out organizations like bha um nwtf nda i know i'm spitting a lot of acronyms um and a bunch of letters and stuff like that but they all stand for something you know so uh you have the national deer association the national wild turkey federation backcountry hunters and anglers um rocky mountain elk foundation you know there there are a bunch of organizations out there that do work pertaining to probably the animal you love to hunt, you know, the species you love to hunt. Um, and there's probably a chapter in your local, um, you know, your, your county, your city, your state, whatever it may be. And if not, hey, if you're feeling up to the task, start your own chapter. Um, if I, I believe I mentioned it last episode, I'm starting a chapter of the NWTF here in New York City. Um, I felt kind of inclined to do so because there isn't a chapter now. Um, I've already taken the first steps to get it going, and now I'm just waiting and seeing. All right. So, again, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Listen, like I've said it before, and I'll say it again, if you are a regular subscriber, I truly appreciate you coming back every week to listen to a new episode. Please uh you know rate this podcast hook a brother up with five stars follow or subscribe to the podcast and even share it if you can um if you have social media share it through whatever social media platform you're using um if it's your first time listening to this podcast i truly appreciate you taking the chance to listen you know what i'm saying um and hopefully you learn something because 99 of the time with whoever i'm speaking to i always learn something so i hope you guys take away something too and um, again, if you're a new listener, uh, go ahead to the review section of whatever um, app or platform you're using to listen to podcasts. Um, hook a brother up with a five-star rating, a dope review, and even share the podcast. All right? So until next episode, you guys stay blessed and remember to respect the journey even when it's not your own.